Hi guys, uh, welcome to the Conversations to Go podcast again. It's really great to have you with us and I hope you really were encouraged with Graham and Linda last week as uh, they encouraged us um, what great guys they look they are and really good to have them as part of the, the crowd. This week we have Stan from Southeast Asia and Stan is a movement leader catalyzer who, who uh, operates in numbers of different spheres in the world. And uh, he's going to be of great encouragement to us as we listen to these podcasts. Welcome, Stan, to Conversations as you go. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Stan, um, I've been um, uh, reading up about you, and um, uh, it's a real privilege to have you on the podcast. But I just wonder if you could introduce yourself to the listener so that they would get to know you a little bit. Yeah, so my parents uh, were gospel workers in uh, Southeast Asia. I was born there. And then uh, as an adult, I, um, my father actually worked with uh, a lot of the early catalysts like uh, Bill Smith and David Watson and Curtis Sargent. And, um, part of my dad's job was to keep them all from getting fired as they did crazy stuff. And so I kind of had a front row seat to, to some of the emerging movements uh, as I was in high school and university. And then my wife and I went to the field in 1994. And as we began to work, I tell people I like to train because I want to help people avoid a lot of the mistakes that I made. Uh, my approach was a strange mixture of um, you know, some Bible, some denominational background, some personal experience, some uh, uh, books I'd read. Um, you know, it was just this strange mishmash of stuff. Uh, the Lord began to speak to me and say, look, I, I want to put that all aside. Um, you know, I'd been to seminary and I'd learned all kinds of things. And the Lord said he wanted to take me back to a scriptural understanding of being a disciple, making disciples, uh, reaching uh, the nations. So I began that process, and um, then early on we'd have people from movements come in and speak speak to uh, people in our country and train people and work with people and and then um, we reached a point where we we're in a context and um, in, a, in a Sharia context where we couldn't have outsiders come in. And the Lord said to me, you can train people how to make disciples and multiply disciples in the same discovery way that you're helping lost people discover uh, the truth through creation of Christ. And so I began working on that process with some other people. And the advantage I, that, that came from that was, you know, as someone who's been part of a movement, you know, Victor John or David Watson or Yin Kai or, you know, they're teaching from their experience and people could say, well, I don't, you know, my experience is different or I don't even believe what you're saying. When I did training, I could say, look, I haven't been a part of movement at this time. If it's in the Bible, do it. If it's not, don't. And uh, it, it kind of changed the dynamic of uh, resistance from some folks. It also created an environment where people could very quickly reproduce uh, DMM training. Uh, they weren't waiting till they'd started a movement to be able to train people, but we could begin training people scripturally. So from that, I ended up helping train and train people to do training and I've ended up in a lot of interesting places around the world. Fantastic, awesome. Um, you said you you were you came in and you you had some things in your background that you had to put aside um, to actually start to jump into the movement space. So we want to just expand that a bit. What kind of things would you did you have to put aside um, to begin to embrace um, some of the movement paradigms there? Yeah, so, you know, our experience has been it's much harder to deprogram those of us from a Christian background 
than it is to help people who've newly come to faith. Uh, and so deprogramming is, is often the most important part uh, for, for uh, people from Christian backgrounds. So things like, uh, you know, when I went out, there was a lot of emphasis on security, and obviously we want to be wise. But I realized I was basically looking like an atheist to the people around me. And so Deuteronomy 6 of having an openly spiritual lifestyle um, that I needed to, you know, be open about the fact I was a follower of Jesus and... um, not, not hide that, not, not try to, you know, we, we went to different places and people would say, you know, why are you here? And in the past I would say, well, I'm with this NGO and I'm doing this. And, and that, you know, we were working with an NGO that we'd set up to, you know, be careful. But I began saying, well, you know, really our family prayed about it and uh, we, we felt like God told us that we should come. And uh, we should be involved in this work. And I said, you know, I'm part of this NGO and da-da-da-da. But I'd start with God rather than starting with kind of the secular reason for it. Uh, that was one thing. Another thing was a focus on individuals uh, from my Western background. Uh, 90% of the time we see salvation uh, described, documented in the book of Acts. Uh, it's either groups or groups of groups. So 29 out of 32 times, it's groups. Three times, it's individuals. And two of those times, you could argue from extra-biblical sources, that it wasn't just the individual, it was also their group. Um, but even if that's the case, 10% are individuals, 90% are groups. Why was I focused on reaching individuals? Because I was captive of my Western individualistic uh, worldview or or bias. Um, You know, the idea that education is crucial um, as opposed to obedience. You know, the original sin that Adam and Eve committed was they wanted to know the things God knows but not obey Him. And in a lot of our churches, we've bought into this idea that more information makes you a better Christian, when biblically, more obedience makes you a better Christian. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you obey me, you'll remain in my love. Uh, the Matthew 28 Great Commission teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And sometimes people, oh, that's legalism. No, it's, it's uh, what's your motivation for it? You know, I do a lot of things for my wife uh, because I love her. I, do, I, I seek to obey God because I love him. And uh, love is not a feeling or an emotion primarily. It's, it's a choice. And so I choose to love him by the things that I do. So those are some of the, the paradigms that, that God began to work on. Yeah, fantastic. The... Um, open spiritual lifestyle is um, I think we we kind of we kind of understand that but I'm not sure how much we actually live that in our day-to-day environment as we're engaging very purposely in the world around us and uh, the, the big challenge in in um, uh, evangelism paradigms is to move from individual to groups it's almost like um, in the West um, you, you say that and people um, go, well, that's impossible. How do, you, how do you find a group of people who want to know Jesus, you know? And um, that's that's really some of our big challenges and paradigm shifts. And, yeah, yeah, obedience versus information and education. Wow, wow, wow. They're just such big, big issues for us all. In um in your history, because I know you've been involved um in in movements both in where you started, but also um now in a broader context, um, uh, what would you say are some of the uh, fundamentals of of um 
elements of movements or irreducible elements. If you were to sit down with somebody, a group of practitioners, and you say, these are the things that we don't walk away from. These are the irreducible elements of movements. Um, What would you say they are, Stan? Yeah, so I kind of have a framework of of scriptural bases that I, I work off of. And a lot of what I've learned, I've learned from other brothers and sisters. Uh, God has used many people in many different contexts to teach me a lot of these things and then take me back to the scripture directly. And that was one of the paradigm shifts to say, let's, let's let scripture guide us in our approach to disciple making, uh, not our, not our denominational or our cultural background. So one of the ones I'd crucial ones I'd start with is John 6, 44 and 45, where Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And so starting with, it's not my job to draw people to Jesus. It's the Father's job. It's my job to identify who's being drawn. And and the passage goes on to say that God himself will teach them. Okay, I, I need to recognize all right, God is the teacher. You know, at one, another scripture, Jesus says, you know, don't call anyone teacher. You only have one teacher. And uh, so, you know, we, we believe in the gift of teaching and we believe God uses teachers. But fundamentally, I want to do John 6.45. I want to help people listen and learn from the Father. And if they do that, they will, they will come to Jesus. And so it changes the dynamic of what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to convince anybody. Uh, sometimes we've got this kind of salesman idea, you know, salesperson idea of if I can just say the right words or kind of gently manipulate, I can convince someone to do something they don't want to do. No, I'm looking for the people God's drawing. You know, when Jesus uh, witnessed to people, uh, you know, talk to them about the kingdom, he made it harder, not easier. We, we want to try to make it easier. You know, he said to the rich young ruler, hey, you've got everything except money is your God, so you've got to give that all away, and then you can follow me. You know, he said to the other guy, um, no, you can't go home and wait till your parents die and then follow me. You've got to choose me over your family. And so this, this idea of who is God drawing how do I identify them? How do I help them listen and learn from the Father? Um, that's 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 my role. Then then the Great Commission. You know, Jesus says, uh, "All authority has been given to me." Um, you know, a lot of times we we try to kind of do things our own or with our own techniques. Or you know, one of the dangers in in uh, DMM and church playing movements and train for train or whatever whatever terminology you use is we can get caught up in the technique and not the uh, not the the authority of Jesus and uh, this one long time uh, field worker you know 50 plus years in the field and this this is quoted by Steve Smith in his book Spirit Walk which I would highly recommend to anyone who hasn't read it. Um, he says, you know, in our day when we went out, it was pretty hard to get out there, and it was very difficult. And so you had a lot of spiritual giants uh, that God had shaped. He said we were methodological pygmies because we were using a lot of our own cultural approaches, and we were using a Western church model. He said today, you know, you've learned a lot of things about movements and, and this man was actually part of helping us learn those things. He said, so there are a lot of methodological giants. He said, I'm, I'm concerned that there, are, that there are spiritual pygmies. And so recognizing, you know, this is Jesus' work. This is his authority. So he gives, because of his authority, he says, go make disciples of all ethne." Uh, it doesn't say go disciple a few individuals. It says go disciple the ethne, every ethne, every ethno-linguistic people group. 
And I'd say one of the things about movements is having a God-sized vision. It's one thing to say, hey, I'm going to go plant a few, I'm going to plant a church. I'm going to, you know, win some people to, to faith. As opposed to, hey, I'm, what's it going to take to reach 13 million Zhuang people of China? What's it going to take to reach 75 million Turks of the Turk uh, ethne? What's it going to take to reach uh, 100 million uh, Bhojpuri speakers or 100 million Bengali speakers? And so the God-sized vision of the Great Commission focus is disciple the ethne, the entire ethne. And people are like, well, how, you know, how do you do that? You know, I, I go to Acts 19, that, um, you know, Paul trained, equipped for two years, and in two years, every Jew and Greek in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. A Roman census tells us that's about 15 million people. How does that happen? You know, it had to have been equipping people who very quickly went out and reached other people and very quickly equipped them and went out to reach other people. You know, how do, how do we find these people? I go back to Jesus had a strategy. He didn't just kind of wander around and hope for the best. Um, so we see it in Mark 6, we see it in Luke 9, we see it in Matthew 10, we see it in, in Luke 10. Probably three different times he probably sent his 12 disciples just to the Jews and Matthew 10 and then probably in Luke 9 he sends his 12 to the Jews and the Gentiles and then in Luke 10 he sends 70 others not not the original 12 um, and he gives them the same basic approach that uh, you know our job is to go to pray for laborers and not go with money uh, to go in, into dangerous situations as sheep among wolves, to not get distracted along the way by greeting people. Uh, as we go, we're looking uh, for these households. And how do we know it's the right household? If a person of peace there you know, receives us, hosts us, and uh, opens the oikos and, and listens to us. And so we see this approach throughout Jesus' ministry, you can actually look back before he sends out the twelve. It's the same thing he does. So he does it, and then he sends the twelve to do it, and then they've equipped other people, they send seventy others to do it. And we see that same pattern happen throughout Acts. So I, I think some of these basic scriptural uh, foundations of what does movement look like. And I'll end with one more. Uh, what does the church look like? People say, what's your definition of church? I'll say, well, it's Acts 2, 36 through 47. And the new churches, we, we let them discover from Acts 2 and then other scriptures to, to you know, better understand the, the concepts in Acts 2. But who are we? What do we do? Acts 2, 36-47 shows you the basic things that you as a church should do. I'm not going to tell you how to do that. You know, what does it mean to be a disciple? I'm going to let Scripture tell you what that means. Let's let Jesus tell you what it means to be his disciple. Not let me tell you what it means to be his disciple. Who's the church? Let's let Scripture show you what that, uh, what it means to be the church. You know, what should I do as a leader? Let's let Scripture tell you what you do as a leader. Uh, not, I'm not going to tell you, but you as a group are going to understand, are going to explore and understand uh, how to be a leader. So those are some of the kind of the core foundations that we've seen in in, in movements. Just fantastic, and you know the idea of um, Scripture being the core, but also. You talked about the authority of Jesus and uh, the, the the idea of not being driven by techniques or what I would call methods. Methods not being the the driver here, but there's a there's a spiritual core here that springs out of the the authority of who is Jesus and what is he wanting to do when he says all authority in heaven and earth and love the God sized vision. Always being always good to be challenged by 
uh, are we buying into God's vision or are we asking him to buy into our vision? And, uh, yeah, really good. Uh, multiplying workers, training, training, multiplying workers. But that focusing on Jesus' strategy of how he he actually made disciples and trained his disciples. And, yeah, clear, clear or scriptural or contextual um, uh, mode of church that's based on discovering church from scripture um just fantastic stan what as you've been doing this and down the road quite a bit in doing this what's taken you by surprise what's what's actually set you back and gone whoa i didn't expect that or this is this the there's a there's a box i think sometimes we put this stuff into and we say it's got to happen like this and and if if it sometimes i i see movements that just totally break out of our expectations or methodologies or things that happen you go wow what's taken you by surprise as you you uh, have been uh, along this journey i think uh, one of the things that's taken me by surprise is how many movements there are in the world today. So I'm part of a 2414 coalition and basically it's if you're if you want to see the unreached people reached, every unreached people in place and you want to do it through movements and you are doing it with a sense of urgency, that's that's the 2414 vision. And we're actually documenting uh, at this current time, 1,967 movements around the world. You know, 10 years ago, we knew of maybe 100, 100 plus. And I remember saying, you know, to reach the 2 plus billion unreached people, people without access to the gospel, you know, we're actually going to need thousands of these movements. And I've got pretty big faith, but I was like, well, yeah, I don't know. So I think the fact there's so many movements, the movements contain uh, 114 million people. That's like one and a half percent of the world's population. Uh, that's that's astounding. Um, and then the fact that movements start movements, uh, 80 to 90 percent, It's it's getting probably pretty close to 90 percent of movements have been started by other movements. Um, and in the past, I think we went into places, you know, as Westerners, and I'll say this, thank God for the Western church in the last 250 years. Uh, God has used many sacrificial people who went all over the world and planted seeds and did a lot of amazing things, and we stand on their shoulders. We don't say, oh, we're so much better than you are. We just say, you know what? You did amazing things, sacrificial things. Uh, you did what was, you know, what you best understood. Uh, some of you did things that were very multipl- multiplicative, movement-oriented. Uh, you know, the Methodists were a typical movement. They uh, they started in houses and they studied scripture and they didn't rely on professionals and they multiplied exponentially. And so. Uh, you know, God's done movements all throughout history. This is not a new phenomenon. But the fact it's happening in so many places around the world at the same time is is a new phenomenon. And I think in the past, a lot of Westerners came in, and as they reached people in these countries that were new to faith, they said, you know, you are you don't have a lot of money, and you don't know a lot of things, and so, you know, you, you need to wait until you're stronger and more knowledgeable and wealthier before you worry about going to other places or doing missions yourself. And in movements, they very quickly go to other people groups, other places, other cultures. Uh, I was just with a, a group in Asia that the movement, the first leaders got trained in movements about 10 years ago. And they're actually tracking over 340 different ethne, uh, different uh, geographical groups, you know, different pockets of people, uh, both geographically and culturally, that they are seeing fourth generation multiplication in. Um, 
because they're compelled by the Spirit of God and no one tells them they can't do it. And so I, I think just the spread of movements and the fact that movements very quickly and very sacrificially move into people outside of their own culture, uh, that, that's been a very uh, surprising dynamic. That's a great comment. You know, movements uh, start movements and the, and the growth of movements itself across the globe um, is just astounding. And, and in some of those um, peoples that, for example, the Muslim world that just, uh, you know, 30 years ago it was um, there was very, very little happening. And suddenly we see movements being spawned uh, in, in contexts that are so hard and so difficult that we would all yeah be quite amazed at what god is doing um in those contexts and stand back and and i i think too there are many many untold stories happening under the radar as it were that we will find out and we will also go oh my goodness god you are doing a a marvelous thing yeah yeah, we, we say what we're aware of is, is the floor. It's not the ceiling. We're, we're, like you said, we're confident God's doing more than that uh, that we're not aware of. And praise God. Yeah, yeah. As we, um, as we looked at what you described as some of the irreducible fundamentals or elements of movements, uh, things like scripture, uh, spiritual authority, God-sized vision, uh, Jesus' strategy, uh, scriptural model of church. I think we grapple with this in the West because although we are seeing explosion of movements, we are still uh, grappling in what is it going to take for the post-Christian cultures for multiplying works to take off. And we are seeing some glimmers here and there, but... Um, by and large, movements are happening in different contexts. What do you think some of the barriers are um, to to movements? What do you think stops movements or stops things getting going, as it were, in movements? Yeah, we've definitely seen that where there is a strong existing church, uh, it's it's much harder for movements to get started. And that would be in the West, but it would also be in other parts of the world. Uh, some countries, you're not seeing movements in certain uh, ethno-linguistic groups because there is already a strong institutional church. That same country, they're seeing movements among groups that have not, in the past, responded to the gospel. I, th- I think just the uh, paradigms of the institutional church are, are probably the main barrier. Um, I I just did a study and and did some discovery with a a family of movement leaders that I was uh, meeting with. And the the word ordination is from the Latin for order. And it's not actually in the New Testament. You can't find the word ordination in the New Testament. There are some words that Sometimes are translated ordination, but they don't. They don't actually mean ordination. You can find ordination in the Old Testament, and when it comes both to priests and to kings, which is why in the New Testament, it's uh, first uh, Peter says, "You are a royal priesthood." We're both royal, the kings and priests, and everybody is. Uh, authorized not not just a few people are ordained uh, you know we, we see people in context where you know er, everybody you know whoever leads someone to faith baptizes them which is the pattern we see in the book of Acts and the church will say wait 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 only the pastor can baptize like wait a minute where'd you get that from um, our, our models of church leadership you know, most churches have adopted a CEO Western model where one person is the dominant leader. Again, you don't see that in Scripture. Uh, the church in the New Testament is plural, multiple leaders uh, leading churches. It's not one leader. Um, most of our churches are led by 
pastors or teachers. Uh, and even the word pastor is comes from Latin, and we we should have translated as shepherd, but instead we we use this word pastor, which we then Im- imbue with a lot of other meanings that are not in the scripture. Well, shepherds and teachers are, by their gifting, focused internally on the members of of the church. We, but you know, the prophet, the evangelist, the apostle are focused outward. Um, by the by, the nature of their gifting. So churches need a balance. You know, Ephesians four, the fivefold gifts. We need a balance of those gifts leading the church. It's not that the pastor teacher leads the local church, and the apostle and the evangelist and the prophet are involved in quote parachurch ministry. No, that they are all involved in church leadership, and they need to, in a sense, be given a place at the table. Um, so just our models of church, the idea you have to have a building to have a church. You know, the word church comes from, in English, comes from German, kirch, which means building. Really, we should talk about congregation, you know, ecclesia, not, not the building. Um, so all these, all these concepts, even those of us who are out in the field in the West, still have some subconscious uh, influences uh, from these efforts, and then another barrier is when we see people come to faith. There, there's this gravity toward, wow, look at this big building. I could go there and have all kinds of programs, and my kids could have a lot of great stuff. And um, you know, we people do at, at times get sucked in into those uh, you know institutional churches. So the the main challenge in the West is to put aside our our uh, preconceptions, our uh, subconscious or even conscious worldview of what the church is, and really pursue scripturally what that looks like. And then recognize, even as we reach people, some of them will get pulled into institutional churches. Um, we just have to keep working with people who recognize, uh, no, that's that's... That's not really what we want. We want the more authentic community we find in these typically house churches. Um, and there are some there are some places where some some of these things are starting to happen in Western and in urban contexts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's um, our our biggest struggle. And for most of us who have experienced uh, church life uh, we've grown up into that environment um, it's ground very deep in us unconsciously and even if we've been into the movement world for some time we still are finding that how well, let me use the term religious in the, the term me in a kind of with a negative connotation religious um, we're still quite religious in in some of our ways of dealing with this which is tied up in the the institutional models but also um how we deal with um people that we don't think are in and out you know those those kind of things and you know for god to push us into harvest-based um movement paradigms um it takes i think some real unlearning and some real um wrestling challenge um and uh, yeah, it's 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 a real challenge. I think um, as we as we face barriers and we really uh, look at that. What what um, if you're you are talking to somebody who's going, wow, this is great. I'm so inspired. I read David Garrison's Church Planning Movement, so I've I've looked at David Watson's um, uh, book and oh, Miraculous Movements. I, I want to get going. What? What should I do? What's the first thing? What do I do this month, this week, this this first six months? What, what would your encouragement be to those who are just really starting in a very pragmatic level to to begin to? Uh, they have a burden for their town, their city, their the refugee community of Afghanis that are coming into their their neighbourhood, or Somalians, or. Um, Vietnamese or or whoever they are uh, situated with, what what are some of the things you would encourage those at the beginning of the journey to do? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say first thing is find some other people that have a similar vision because you can't do it by yourself. And so who else has a vision for your city or for uh, some of the people groups in your city or for, you know, what, what, whatever God's called you to? Um, find some other people who have a similar vision. And then I'd encourage you to spend some significant time praying together to better hear what God has in mind for you. Um, you know, spend a month praying and fasting. Um, create rhythms of, of serious prayer times that you do regularly. Uh, create rhythms of fasting and prayer that you do regularly. Um, then as a team, uh, get get some training and equipping in uh, movements, in uh, disciple-making multiplication. You know, they're, they're, Dave, Dave can help get, get, help you get trained. You know, there are all kinds of folks who can help you train. The best way to train is to get trained locally. And, and what I, what I prefer is you learn one key concept, you know, scripturally, um, as a group, you then for the next week or two are applying the things you've learned and you're, you're, you've, the best thing is if you can find some other people that you can then equip as well, because you'll learn it much better if you are equipping other people. And at the same time, you're multiplying the number of people who are involved. And as you do that, not everyone who gets equipped is going to continue. Just That's just what we've seen. Um, some people are going to say, oh, this is nice, but I'm, I'm not really into this, or I'm not, eh, this isn't the right time for me. That's, that's all right. You're looking for those who are, you know, this is the right time. They are making that commitment. They're willing to stick to it no matter what. So as you get equipped, you're getting equipped, you're applying it, uh, you're hope, hopefully passing it on, which will increase the number of people that are working with you. Uh, I tell people, you'd much rather, instead of two of you trying to do it, you'd much rather have 10 of you trying to do it. And instead of 10 of you, you'd rather have 100 people, you know, looking looking for those persons of peace. So, find a team, discern God's vision for you as a team, begin to get equipped, equip other people to grow that team or that network that will work together. And after you've been equipped, we've... Some of the folks I've worked with have kind of identified seven core uh, activities that you're involved with on a regular basis. And so the first one is multiplying prayer. You're not just praying, you're multiplying prayer. You're, you're finding other people to pray. You're helping people who pray, pray more. You're helping people who pray, pray more strategically and more in depth. Um, so multiply prayer. The second is focus on God's Word. Just keep going back to, all right, what are we trying to do here? What what does God teach us from Scripture about the things we're doing? You're constantly trying to let God's Scripture and, and the Holy Spirit guiding you into truth through Scripture uh, erase your preconceptions, erase your cultural biases, erase your presuppositions that are not that are not scriptural. So multiply prayer, focus on God's Word. And then with with Christians, you're doing two things. You're casting vision for multiplying disciples, for reaching the lost, uh, for you know movements in general. And then you're training those who respond. If I cast vision to a lot of people, whoever responds, I offer them training and equipping. And again, as a team, you're not doing this as an individual. So with, with lost people, you're doing two things. You're going out among the lost. You're, you're very specifically both in your everyday life, and that's where living an openly spiritual life can help you identify uh, spiritual seekers. Um, but you're also having times where you very specifically through either an access ministry or uh, going out prayer walking, or you know, you have specific times to go out among the lost. And then you're going to see groups start. 
we don't gather people together we we find groups natural groups and we find that person of peace who opens the door to that group and then we're going to start a group that begins to study scripture together and that group will some of those groups will will become churches you're going to help them walk that that journey and and then the last thing we say is you you've got to have ongoing coaching uh, you've got to have someone who's a step ahead who will coach you in your circle right not individually but your team your you know maybe several teams working together and you you'll coach each other and then you you want to have access to a coach who's you know, at least one step ahead of you that can help you with you know the 10 or 20 percent you might not be able to figure out on your own so you're multiplying prayer you're focusing on god's word with christians you're casting vision and you're training them with lost people you're going out among the lost and you're seeing groups start and then you the seventh would be ongoing coaching so what do i do i've just been trained what what am i supposed to do those seven things that'll get you started and and keep doing them don't give up yeah yeah just um just just love that and um some of the um the uh, key pickups I just just picked up there uh, that you really encourage uh, to start with is to find the key concept, find others and train them as well. So you're multiplying workers from the beginning. Um, and um, that's a very, very key concept that um, I went, oh, that's really, really helpful. Really, really good. Um, yeah, um, Stan, this is this is fantastic. Um jump into now what challenges you today as you're looking at movements and what what are the things that you feel like we need to wrestle with and just as you're speaking to the praxis crowd and people who are working with praxis and particularly a western context what do you think some of the challenges we need to wrestle with and and embrace you know one of the things that strikes me in you know, in, in Luke 10, Jesus says, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near. Uh, Matthew 10, he says, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, and tell them the kingdom of heaven is near. Um, I think a lot of times in the West, we're operating with one hand tied behind our back. We're operating mainly from a truth encounter approach. Um, because many of us have learned that. And and we need both. We need the power encounter and we need the truth encounter. And so I think one of the things we can learn from movements, like I've asked this question of a lot of movement leaders, all, all, almost all of them will say they find more than half, and, and many of them would say you know closer to three-fourths, they find these households of peace through some sort of a miracle. Either dream someone's had that then they that the believer explains the dream and they begin to explore scripture uh, or a healing or an exorcism or from time to time someone raised from the dead um, and I think in the West we we most of the practitioners I know are more heavily weighted on the truth encounter side and not the power encounter side um, and the power encounter needs to lead to truth. You look at the book of Acts, the, the power encounter led to truth. And then sometimes you see the truth encounter lead to power encounter. Um, so I, I, I think that's one of the challenges that we have. What does that look like? How do we pursue that? How do we uh, pursue it strategically, not just sensationally? Um, yeah, that, that would be one of the main ones I would point out. Yeah, just brilliant. Uh, I see the really effectual um, uh, practitioners in the West are those who catalyze people really quick, who empower ordinary people, but um, not not just getting caught in methods, but flexible and adaptable in different contexts. But the idea of prayer and power encounter um, is wrapped up into that. They're quick to pray for people. They're quick to 
to jump into spaces where God can turn up and and are also looking where God is turning up and just just um that that idea of power encounter um really um that that's important and I think for for us uh, I know as Aussies um we're so egalitarian not wanting to create waves and and uh, uh we've been taught for many decades or longer religion is a private thing you keep it in there so the idea of living out loud your spirituality but also seeing prayer some of the people i really admire jump into spaces very quick where they say wow can i just pray for you okay let's see a miracle happen here or god doing something quite powerfully and so yeah the idea of the truth encounter sometimes we can get so caught up in um head stuff and we just think oh if i could just even in a movement paradigm, do a DBS with somebody, surely they'll be convinced and God is wanting to turn up in so many ways. So it's very, very powerful what you say. Stan, thank you. What a, what a wealth of encouragement and information you've um, given us and from someone who who's uh, working constantly in this area. Very privileged. I wonder if you would uh, finish with a word of encouragement or something that you'd like to speak directly to those who are listening, who are both from starting groups to others who have seen fourth generation and more and beyond um, movements uh, happening. What what would be something from your heart to the listener today who's listening to this? Yeah, I, one thing I would say is comparison will steal your joy. Jesus does not want you to compare yourself to somebody else and say, oh, I've only got one group, or I can't even start a group, and this guy over here is doing all this stuff. The analogy, and uh, Steve Smith um, wrote this analogy. So I'm a, if I'm in a sailboat, and I don't have my sails up, and the wind blows, I'm, I'm probably not going very far. If I'm in a sailboat and I raise my sails, but the wind doesn't blow, I'm not going anywhere. If I'm in a sailboat, I have my sails up and the wind blows, and I have my sails pointing in the right direction, then I'm going to go. Our, our job is to put our sails up. Our job is to let God teach us through Scripture, through other people, through experience, how to put our sails up to be ready for making disciples and multiplying disciples, to, to put away everything that would would keep us from, uh, you know, putting extra baggage or extra requirements that are not biblical, but to, to really be ready for the key core concepts of how to be a disciple and how to make disciples and how to make disciple makers. So I'd encourage you, if if you're asking God to help you put your sails up and, and His Spirit has not yet blown uh, through your area, that you are doing what you need to do. You are being faithful. And don't compare yourself to somebody else. Um, don't Someone used the analogy, they, they extended that analogy and said, you know, some of us are in a canoe. We're trying to do all the work ourselves, and we're never going to get across the ocean in a canoe. And some of us are in a speedboat. We're, we're getting really fast, but we're doing it with a lot of extra fuel and money, and when we run out of fuel, we're not going anywhere. So our job is to get ready for multiplication, do our part in prayer, do our part in equipping, do our part in being a disciple, doing our part in living openly spiritual lifestyles, doing our part in going out among the lost. And then the results are up to God. The results are not your responsibility. Now, we can keep asking God, what do I need to do differently? What do I need to try? What what do you want me to change? Uh, but from a place of security that God loves you. He wants you to be fruitful more than you do. And if you're really seeking him, uh, you and your team, then you're in the place you need to be. And so I'd, I'd encourage you with that. Be faithful, love God, be obedient, 
But don't focus on the results. Focus on him and focus on what he's asking you to do. And let him make the changes that he wants to. Uh, and the results are up to him. Let me, let me pray for you, all, all of you who are listening through the magic of technology. Um, and, you know, here I am speaking to you. You're hearing me all over the world. Of how much more does our Heavenly Father hear us? So, Lord, I do pray for every single person on this that's listening uh, to this podcast. I pray that you would fill them with an understanding of your great love, that they would be confident and assured in their identity as your sons and daughters, and they would know there's nothing they can do that would make you love them more, and there's nothing they can do that would make you love them less that you love them with an infinite love. And Lord, at the same time, they're your servants. You have sent them into the harvest and they want to see others brought into your family, brought into your kingdom. Lord, whatever it is that's, that is uh, a misunderstanding or, or a wrong understanding or a a personal area that's holding them back from the things you want to change in them. Uh, We pray for that. And Lord, we pray that you would lead them to those people you've prepared, to those uh, Zacchaeuses and those Corneliuses and those Lydias and those uh, gathering demoniacs that are waiting for them to come and bring the good news, both in, in power and in truth. And we pray that you would Use these men and women uh, and children to, to expand your kingdom, to make disciples who make disciples, to help start churches that start churches. And Lord, we pray for the day when there are no more people that are, that are without access to the gospel, that every single person in the world has had a chance and an opportunity to respond to your great good news. And we pray these things in the in the power and authority of Jesus, and in the love of the Father, and with the indwelling of the Spirit. Amen.